up, continue to read all the way until we complete that. Uh, it takes discipline to finish something. And sometimes you lose that sense of um, drive. You say, ah, you know, but that's why you need structure. So I help you this morning uh, by saying to you, if you would make the effort uh, to set certain type of structures in your life, that means I'm going to do this from this time to this time. It will really help you. It will help you to achieve and to be able to see things that are happening in your life. And so, uh, I encourage you to be a person of structure. I encourage you to be a person of discipline. Uh, so much as to even deciding on what you eat and what you drink. And maybe, you know, not so legalistic. Uh, but my wife and I have learned uh, just over this past couple of weeks, months, that we've learned that it is important that we plan the next day, the day before what we are going to do. It helps when you have structure like that in place. Even when you say, oh, I don't have anyone to meet, have a structure. It will really, really help you to eliminate the need at that time. You know, we used to ask ourselves always, this question, what to eat, ah? Right? What to eat, ah? But, but now we've already, this, we kind of make up our mind, okay, this is what we're going to do, we're going to, it helps us. It helps us to be uh, disciplined. It helps us to stay in line and in structure. So this, this morning, I want to preach a slightly different type of message to you. And um, this message came from a book that I read uh, a while ago uh, by John Bevere titled Killing Kryptonite. And uh, in, in my reading of Proverbs this week as well, a common theme that I found to be continually resonating at least until yesterday and uh, uh, possibly even today uh, is that I found myself um, reading a lot on the subject of adultery. And so I want to talk to you this morning concerning adultery but I don't want to talk to you concerning adultery in the context of our physical marriage, but rather our spiritual one. I want to preach this morning to you a sermon I've called Spiritual Adultery. Uh, there was a story that I got out of this book, and in the story, it, it, I'll, I'll just share that with you. One evening, Justin returns from work and finds his wife, Angela, all made up and slipping into a beautiful outfit. He therefore concluded that she must have planned something special for them and offers to get dressed up as well. Angela, a bit confused, responds, Oh honey, honey, I I'm going out with Tony tonight. We're going to get dinner, catch a movie and check into the Fairmount Hotel. I should be back by mid-morning. And so Justin reverts, he says, who's Tony? He's my boyfriend from high school, she replies. What? You can't go out with him, why not? Because we are married. We are committed to each other. We don't date other people, he says, stating what he assumes should be obvious. Hold on, honey, hold on, Angela responded. You're my favourite. I love you more than any of my old boyfriends but you really can't expect me not to see them any longer. I've been close with some of them for years. I still love them. And I want to enjoy time with them. What's wrong with that? You and I know. 
But how many times? Let's bring it to Jesus. You and I have the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. When we got saved, when we gave our lives to Christ, we dedicated ourselves to Him. But today, Christians flirt with the world. And I want to talk to you about that for a few moments because adultery can be extremely painful. Because one of the greatest faucets of adultery, let me tell you men, listen, one of the, even today I have to say to women or so, <laughs> it involves the height of betrayal. It's the betrayal of all betrayals. And as I was contemplating this thought, it struck me how God often associated adultery with spiritual decline. He always associated adultery and He used this concept in trying to describe spiritual distancing when His children walk away from Him, when His children embrace other things that are not in His favour, when His children, that's you and I, begin to embrace ungodliness and unrighteousness, when there is spiritual betrayal, when there is a competition between what God says and what the world says, and in the context of those two things, and when the Christian chooses to go according to the ways of the world rather than the ways of God, the Bible tells us that, re that reflects to the concept of adultery. Is that saying, I love you, God, but I'd rather do it that way. You're my favorite, Jesus, don't take it wrongly. You are my favorite, Jesus. But I, I like that better. And so let's go to Proverbs chapter 5. 7 through 14. Let's read that this morning. The Bible tells us in verses 7 here, Therefore hear me now, my children. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honour to others and your years to the cruel one. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say how I have hated instructions and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Now, I want to read that again. But when we read that this time, I know when we read it this first time, we had in our mind the concept of adultery, unfaithfulness of a spouse. Between the husband and the wife, there's unfaithfulness. And so when we read about it, when we read this passage, we understand it reflects to the spirit of adultery. But I want you to read it again with me. We're going to read this again. And as we read it again this time, I want you to have in your mind sin or disobedience or even your own relationship with God. And when we read it with that concept, I want you to listen to how it sounds now. 
Therefore, listen, we're referring to our relationship with God here. Hear me now, my children. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her, sin. And do not go near the door of sin, her house. Lest you give your honour to others. Basically, sin has a way of drawing your reverence for God away and your ears to the cruel one, Satan, who owns sin. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth. Everything that you work for gets taken away. And your labors go to a house of a foreigner. You moan at last when your flesh and your body, you've gone and you've sinned so much that it has affected you physically, mentally. And say how I've hated instruction because you refuse to listen. And my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those instructions. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. And so let's talk about spiritual adultery for a few moments. Now the effects of adultery goes beyond denial. Peter denied the Lord. It is associated with dabbling with something that God has described as unacceptable and ungodly and unrighteous. It is to say that I am flirting with the things of the world per se. Solomon's words of wisdom instructs us not to depart from God's word. Remove ourselves. In other words, it is a conscious decision to run from it. We know the story of Joseph. When Potiphar's wife uh, came to him, he ran, the Bible says, he escaped her. And that is the virtue of what a Christian should do. We should run. We should stay away from sin and ungodliness. The moment we understand that by the virtue of me participating in this, may put me in a, in a state of vulnerability, I should run from it. That means there are decisions I personally make that I will not choose to do it. It is not wrong on the offset. It is not wrong on the outside. But when I choose to go into it, it is going to lead me to a place of no return. And so I don't dabble with it. I don't flirt with it. I don't play, what's that, what's that, uh, um, that thing that, uh, you know, they walk the tightrope. I don't walk the tightrope with it. Let's see how long I can go without falling. I just don't do it. And that's what Solomon, remove, remove, because it will protect you. And so it, it describes all the way from verses 9 through 14 the effects of this adulterous relationship, the detrimental, the damaging effects we read, beloved. It says that it can cause your flesh and your body to be consumed. How many Christians or how many people in the midst of ungodliness damage their minds, damage their physical being? And as Christians... Why does God say these things to us? Because we can avoid the agony and the pain of it. We can avoid the agony and the pain of it and the spiritual adulterous relationship. God's word, the Bible says, will be our source of protection if we abide and we keep it. 
In James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, the Bible says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know? See, I didn't make up spiritual adultery. The Bible calls it adulterers and adulteresses. Jesus calls the people who flirt with the world. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns just... Listen, this doesn't mean we don't do the things the world does. You've heard me say we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Oh, I'm not going to go to the bank because that's worldly. Come on. <laughs> I'm not going to invest because that's worldly. Please. Please, that's not, that, that, that's, I'm sorry to say, but that, there's a word for it. That's called stupid. <laughs> you, you live in this world. There are things you have to do in this world. So I'm not, again, you've heard my famous quote, I don't call you to be a hermit, go and live in a mountain, don't do anything. You and I must understand, beloved, that there are certain things we do, but we're going to do it God's way. It's the choice of pleasing God in everything we do. That's the point. And so a person in spiritual adultery, as the Bible says in Proverbs, despises instruction, correction. And I can tell you that every backslider, Everyone who has turned away from God, everyone who has walked away from God, everyone that has refused to walk in God's ways has been, this has been the hallmark. It is their refusal to listen to instruction and receive correction. Point blank. Why, why they walked away from God? Because they don't like to be told what to do. They don't like correction. They don't like instruction. And that is the bottom line. They go and they get themselves hurt again and then come back even worse than they were. If we listen to the preaching, if we listen to instruction, we could save ourselves a lot of trouble. And God calls them out all through the Scripture. All through the Scripture in the Old Testament, the church has been recognized even in the New Testament as the bride of Christ. And when the church is flirting with ungodliness, God judges it as adultery. We're the church. We're the, we're the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. And when we begin to do things that are ungodly and unright, when we begin to mingle and intermingle the world with us, God judges it and He says it's adultery. Because I... How many know in a marriage, there are things your wife likes and there are things your husband likes? There are things your wife don't like, there are things your husband don't like. I, I want to share about Charles and Angelina just here. But the other day, we had some quay leftovers. And so, and so uh, we, we finished the New Year's, uh, sorry, the Christmas Eve dinner. And so Nina went up to Uncle Charles and she said, Charles, you know, uh, uh, this, this is for you. You won, you won, so this is yours. Take it home with you. And so he looked at her and he smiled. He said, okay, la, okay, he took it. Then he said, but you must ask Angelina, you know, his wife. And she said, no, 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 you're not taking it home. There are things you like, there are things you may not like. That's life. That's life. 
And can I say to you, let's bring it down to where the rubber meets. There are things God likes and there are things God don't like. Do you respect that? No, he, my, he, he doesn't like it. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to hurt him because he doesn't like it. You see how much this is associated with the marriage. And this is why, beloved, it is seen as adultery when we, res- when we decide to hurt God with our decisions. You see, fulfillment comes from being solely given to God. You cannot have one leg in the world and one leg in the kingdom and expect God to help you. It never works like that. You cannot kind of experiment here a little bit. With God, it is faith. You step in, trusting Him with your whole life. And when you are solely and wholly given to God, that's where you find God moving in your life. That's where real peace comes from. That's where real fulfillment comes from. And there is a term in the psychological uh, world, they call it the mirage, the, the mirage effect, where we see what we want. We mesmerize over what we want. We look at something and we think, oh, I wish I could have that. And when you get it, Like what I said last week, there's emotions that play and then you regret going in depth to get it. But it's this mirage effect that begins to happen and it is this subtle thing that always makes you mesmerize over what you don't have. How many know we are to be contented with Jesus? We are to be satisfied with Jesus. He is our all in all. He is the King of kings. And this is so profound and important, the law of attraction, where our thoughts is also trying to attract things that appeal to us. Oh, that feels good. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, that is a, the grass is always greener the other side. Beloved, I have found it to be true. Every time we choose to displease God, we only come to a place of regret. Because we think we know better and God says, <laughs> let's see how far you'll go. There is no such thing, beloved. There was a story I'm reading in a book now about the kidney heist. Haste. It was a group of men who decided to go to a bar after working out, working, not working out, but working. And they decided to go. And in that bar, what happened was, this, this happened in Las Vegas. Uh, in the US. And so what happened was, this was transpiring, this was going on very uh, uh, rapidly and also uh, was, was becoming more and more common. Uh, they would meet women in that bar and what would happen is this woman would come up to the man and the, man, the woman would say, can, can I buy you a drink? And so the man would say, yeah, obviously, you know, he thinks he's, yeah, who doesn't want to, you know? <laughs> and, so, and so he says, yeah, sure, you know, and so you'll buy, but, but she'll drop something into that drink. He will sip it down, and the next thing he will find is he knocks out. He's in a bathtub in the hotel upstairs, and his kidneys are gone. They've taken his kidneys out, and they've sold it. And now, when he wakes up, in his own, he's in a bathtub filled with ice. And 
a note is there, don't panic, just call 911. Because your kidneys has just been taken out, something like that. But the point is, beloved, on the outward, it looks innocent. On the outward, it looks appealing. But can I tell you, these eyes fool us a lot of times. You must find your satisfaction from God. And this is where we must establish this, beloved. This is the thing that offends God probably the most. Because Christians are notorious in having one leg in the world and another in the kingdom. We enjoy the fact, can I be very honest with you, we enjoy the fact of being social, unconfrontational, and uncommitted. We want to be like a butterfly. Friend, friend with everybody. But as Christians, how many know there are times our friends will tell us to do things that goes against God's will? And you have to learn to say, no. Revelations 3. Let's read a few scriptures and then I'm going to bring this. Give you three points and then another three points and we're done. You thought three points in it, right? <laughs> I leave you three and another three. <laughs> because who knows? I may not see you here next week. So I leave you with six points for two weeks. <laughs> okay, Revelations 3, 15 to 16. Let's, let's go there. Let's, let's read these. Okay, you don't have to turn. We're going to go to the scriptures here very quickly. I'm going to read them, okay? I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is God's judgment. God says, make up your mind. Do you want to live for me or you don't want to live for me? Do you want to follow me or not follow me? You can't have one leg here and one leg there. Stop playing adultery. You either love me or you don't. And this is... Hot or cold, Jeremiah 3.20. Look at this again. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. Again, as a wife walks away from her husband, so you have walked away from me. Do you see the, con the connection here? Isaiah 1.21. How the faithful city have become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness, lodged in it, but now murderous. Hosea 9 verses 1, Do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other people, for you have played the harlot against your God. You have made love for hire on every threshing floor. And I have a number of others. God made the connection of those who declined those who never made up their mind, those who never gave themselves completely to God as those who were committing spiritual adultery. And what does the Ten Commandments say? Do not commit adultery. So you may not be physically, but we could spiritually. And there are three things that God began to show me as the Christians of our generation begin to flirt with 
These passages that we just read reflect on spiritual adultery. And what is the main context of any form of adulterous relationship is simply unfaithfulness. God desires that we will have a fulfilled Christian life. You know that, beloved? Can I tell you? If you know anything about God, God wants you to be fulfilled. God wants you to live with joy and peace. God wants you to be so, you know, sold out to the point that you can have the, you know, a good sleep at night. You can, you can do things that God has made you to do. You can see success. God prospers that, beloved. But when we dabble with unfaithfulness, there are three things that I believe that are seen as adultery in the eyes of God. Number one, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10. Pastor, am I committing spiritual adultery? You tell me. Second, uh, Second Timothy 4.10 For Demas have, un- have forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. So here we have a man, Demas. He walked away from God. He walked away from Paul. He left them. The Bible makes it clear because he loved this present world world. There's a term we use. It's called hedonism. The word hedonism simply means the pursuit of self-pleasure and self-indulgence. So here we find that the thing that took Demas away from God was nothing else but worldliness. A.W. Tozer said, we as the church should be less and less like the world. That when they come to the church, they should see a difference that makes them want to say, you know what, I want what you've got. Because the joy we come have, the peace we have, the excitement that we have, and all that comes upon us is not because of what the world offers. Yes, we see success in the world, but it comes because of a relationship with God. Demas tinkered around with the world. He flirted with the world. What was his great concern? Demas was afraid that he was going to have to pay a high price to follow Christ. He was scared because listen, when the scripture was put down, he was in prison the first time. He was in prison and because of that, he decided that, no, I don't want to pay this price. I don't want to live for Jesus anymore. I'd rather go and live for the world. So he decided the price was too high to pay. So he chose the world over Christ. And he opted to go the wrong way. Carnality, beloved, fuels the flesh. Carnality is the absence of faith. Why do we feed our flesh so much? Because there is a lack of faith in trusting God. This includes our thinking, our mindset, worldly mindsets, carnal mindsets. Does that mean, pastor, I cannot think? No, no, no. That means there are certain things you don't talk about because it's worldly. There are certain things you don't say because it's worldly. There are certain actions you don't carry out because it's worldly. And that's a choice you have to make. Do you want to keep Justin and Tony? Or do you just want Justin? Do you want Jesus? Or do you want Jesus and the world? 
That's a choice. Worldliness is something that Christians flirt with today. They, 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 they begin to allow themselves to be open to that. The second thing that I find to be the reason why Jesus would call it spiritual adultery and the second element uh, uh, of spiritual adultery would be sin. Sin, beloved. This is how we show God. You're not important. I have other options. Sin is disobedience towards God. This was what happened in the Garden of Eden. The choice of choosing to do what is wrong despite knowing what is right. That is what sin is. I heard it's wrong, but I will still go on doing it. I heard that lying is wrong, but I will still do it. I heard that looking at that is wrong, but I will still do it. Beloved, I know as difficult as it is for me to preach this sermon, but I want you to be right with God. I want you to walk in godliness and in righteousness. This is what we are called to do. We are not called to, to, to commit adulterous relationships with the sin of this world. In James 4.17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Dabbling with what we know is wrong in the eyes of God. How often we have been brainwashed to diminish the effects of our sin. Ah, your lying is not so bad anymore. Lah. Not so bad. Lah. Cheating is not so bad. Lah. Are you serious? Are you serious that God changed His mind about it? Beloved, let's, let's be real this morning. What if your pastor told a few lies? Would you like it? You won't like it. You would say, what kind of pervert he is? He comes up there and he tells us all these things, but he's a liar. And that's the reality when we dabble with sin. We're flirting with something God says, don't touch. Don't touch. We are committing adultery. Choosing to say, God, I chose that over you. The third thing that I think is prominent all through Scripture is idolatry. When you look at Scripture, now, now, don't, don't jump the gun and say, oh, idols, you know, this huge event. No, it's not the shrines. It's those idols that we have in our minds. American Idol. <laughs> Britain's got talent and idols. And so... The Bible says in Judges 3, 7, the Bible tells us, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. Listen, they forgot. They chased after other gods. What is our other gods? Money? Ouch. What is our other gods? What have we put before God? What have we chose to flirt with when God says it's wrong? Ashtorad is wrong. Baal is wrong. That's not who I call you to. I call you to worship me. I'm supposed to be first in your life. Idolatry is the simple faucet of replacing God with something else. That's what idolatry is. Don't, don't, don't talk about images. Don't talk. That's kid stuff. We're talking about your mind. 
Because I see many Christians who live religion, walk away from religions that have idols, but they sit in church with idols. For some people, their phone is their idol. For some people, money is their idol. For some people, job is their idol. For some people, you know, it's their children who's their idol. Don't touch the child. The child, you know, people get off. Don't touch them. You can touch anything, but, but not that. But you can condemn their Jesus. You can condemn their faith. And they, hey, yalla, And we laugh about it. What's wrong? Jesus should be number one. He should always be number one. And so idolatry promotes spiritual adultery. So let's close then with the final thought. How does Jesus feel about all of this? Have you thought? How does, how does Jesus feel when his people who he died for come to church, said, sorry, I'm a sinner, accepted Jesus into their life? How, how, how does Jesus feel in all of this? I think the same way a wife or a husband feels when they hear of their spouse have committed adultery. How does Jesus feel when his people stop believing him and trusting the world more than him? How does Jesus feel when Christians are playing with sin, mingling with sin, is it wrong for me to sit around with my friends, Pastor? No. Is it wrong to have a drink with my friends, go for tetarate, sit down, have a drink? No. But when sin is dabbled with, how does Jesus feel? How does Jesus feel when he's no longer number one in our lives? How does he feel? So let's close with this thought. Very quickly, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. There are a number of scriptures I can pull out, but I'm just going to read this because it kind of pens what I want to say in conclusion here. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Twofold, twofold. Number one, he grieves. He grieves. You know when someone dies, you grieve. You cry. Your heart is broken. You reflect on the relationship and the value of that. You feel like there's just, it's ended, it's, it's here. Yeah, we, we grieve, but there's joy for us as Christians because we know heaven is there. But we grieve nonetheless. 
When someone turns their back on you, you grieve. You're saddened. You're heartbroken. And that's exactly what the Bible is saying. When we begin to dabble with worldliness, sin, idolatry, when Christians begin to flirt with these things and allow them to have prominence and preeminence in their life, the Bible says we grieve the Spirit of God. You want to know how He feels? He feels hurt. And how many Christians constantly hurt God with worldliness and carnality? With sin? With idolatry? He grieves. He says, I died so you can be forgiven. But the hope in this verse is simply this. Uh, uh, Isaac, can you go to, to the last verse? I think 32, right? It says that God in His grace, tender-heartedness, forgiving even as God in Christ. So that's the hope. God forgives. See, if we were honest today, if we came today and said, God, you know what? I have been an adulterous Christian. Not physically, but I've been flirting with these things. I've been playing around with it. These were things that you said I should stay away from, but I've been playing with them. And I'm repenting God. Can I tell you, the Bible says God will forgive you. So there are three things that happens essentially when a spiritual adult, when spiritual adultery happens, it leads to three things in life. Number one, it leads to a life without transparency. A person who lives in adultery, I, I've met people who are in adulterous relationship. I remember a family member of mine who was involved in an adulterous relationship, always had to hide. There was no transparency. Always had to hide, 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 hide. There were times we would go uh, uh, to, to, to my relative's house and when we go there, you know, you can see the slipper. Uh, it was a corner lot and so you, you, you go right in and boom, suddenly you see the slipper is missing. It went, they went out the other way. It, 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 they have to hide. They have to play. They can never be genuine. They can never be real. Right? I don't know about this culture, I'm sorry, but, but it's, it's mind-boggling to me. The other day, I went to wash my car, and uh, the guy who was washing the car, this, this, this guy, his name is Francis, a friend of mine, and he said this, he said, you know, Pastor, you know this guy? And he was telling me the background of the guy who brought in the car to wash. He says he's a dato or something like that, and then he said he's got two wives, one girlfriend. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> he's not shy to tell you. No lah, this fellow's all very proud. I say, oh Lord. It, it, so you can never live with transparency. You have to hide. Hide every time you're around. Hide, 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 hide. Come on. And I was young and I was dating my wife. I played hide and seek. Right? I, I, because, because to a certain extent, I didn't want people to know. But when I get married, come darling. Right? I can be open. I can be. Why do you want to live in hide and seek? See, this is the problem with adulterous. It'll never let you come clean before God. Every time you come to God, you're always hiding something. You're hiding, you're hiding, you're hiding. How can God help you when you're hiding things from Him? Like as though God doesn't know. Hey, that's there. <laughs> you were doing it all this. God knows. God knows everything. Everything. 
You're not kidding God. You're kidding yourself. The second thing is, there will never be victory. When you are in an adulterous relationship, spiritual adultery will never give you victory. When you're dabbling with the world, you're playing with the things of the world, you're promoting the things of the world, uh, whether it can be ungodly relationships, whether it can be unholy relationships, all of when you're playing with the things of the world. Today, the pressure we find is with this whole LGBTQ. It's causing a great divide even in the US now, amongst our churches. People are saying you have to agree. You have to, but the Bible says it is wrong. The Bible makes it clear that God made us male and female. And when I stand on God's word, I choose to believe His word is true. And so when we dabble with that with worldliness, oh, it's acceptable, Pastor. We should, we should embrace it. And there will be no victory, no dominion in life. When you are committing spiritual adultery, there will be no victory in the areas of your life. You can pray for things and things will just never happen. There'll be no victory. Because God cannot step in. Because that sin, that worldliness is blocking God from getting involved. And so you can go on. That's why some people still struggle. I, I can't sleep at night. I cannot get victory in this area. I cannot. Why don't you make up your mind? Do you want Jesus or you don't? When you live in that state of confusion, you rob yourself of that victory. I said earlier, when you don't make up your mind, beloved, Jesus cannot help you. And there's no victory. So you come to church, you come into Christianity and you say, oh, I was expecting this. I was expecting no, you need to make up your mind first that I want Jesus. I want to know Him. I'm not going to dabble with these things. I'm not going to play with these things. That's where real help comes from. Without victory, beloved, there are wounds that will never get closed. You know, when you don't follow Jesus, you are, you are prone to get hurt. Somewhere you're prone to make some mistakes. Somewhere you are prone to make some blunders. And then you regret it. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have said. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have behaved like. I shouldn't have done this. I, and when there's no victory, there are scars because of the hurts that never get closed. And finally, a loss of fellowship with God. Do you think God will tolerate? Will you, as a husband or wife, tolerate? How do you think God feels? You make up your mind. A loss of fellowship. You imagine you can, the Bible says when you have an odd against your brother and you come to the altar and you pray, God doesn't hear. Can you imagine, beloved, when people are flirting with these things? I'm not talking about us falling into it because of weakness or mistakes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you continually do it even when you know it's wrong. You know this is going to destroy you. This is what addiction does, isn't it? I know it's going to destroy me. If I eat french fries every day, I'll die. But you say, oh, I'm going to stop tomorrow. 
It's not going to help. Eventually, what happens? The people who've been advising you will say, forget it. Lah. This guy die, die. Lah. Sometimes God does that. Say, you know what? I've been telling you. I've been telling you. I'm telling you. I'm warning you. I'm helping you. I'm teaching you. You don't want to listen. Go. Go face the consequences. A loss of fellowship. Is God any less love? No. He loves us. He doesn't want us to get hurt. That's why sometimes it's so hard to live in this world. But beloved, that's why most Christians begin to flirt with the world. But in this time that we're living in, you're going to have to make some necessary decisions to listen, pay attention, and follow. Pastor, does it mean I cannot be around the people? No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't take this message wrongly. But do not. Do not dabble with things that you know that's wrong and then think it's okay because it's not okay with God. I want you to bow your heads with me.